Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to For Fox Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and the Kentucky Eastern Chipmunk perched next to me is Ellen. Now in original and extra crispy. What? No, that's not what I meant at all. I'm not Kentucky Fried Chipmunk. Ellen! Honey. No. Baby. KFC stands for Kentucky Fried Chicken. Awkward. Oh, honey. Let's just fly into the Phoenix flashback. Let's... Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 25, The Beetle at Bay, and the absolutely no corresponding film scenes because the ones in my head just don't count. Ron's Quidditch woes fall on deaf ears as Harry could not give a shit. The lack of Dementors, despite the excess of Azkaban escapees, seems like it should be a bit worrisome. Cho is definitely better at dating than Harry, but in the end, she should probably be in counseling, not a relationship. Despite their differences, the Wizarding World and the Muggle World both have similarly cringy Valentine's Day traditions. Harry may have zero idea of how to deal with teenage girls who seem to have sprung a leak, but at the very least, he doesn't dine and dash. Hagrid continues to look more and more worse for wear and drowns his sorrows at the pub. You can take the reporter out of the gossip, but you can't take the gossip out of the reporter. And after apparently taking some sass lessons from her best friend, Hermione makes a case for actually being a hat stall between Gryffindor and Slytherin. During episode 163, boy can't even read the room. Our Potter pondering was... What are your thoughts on the Order of the Phoenix movie leaving Rita Skeeter out completely? Hey, Ellen and Katie. This is Megan calling in with my Potter pondering about the scene with Rita Skeeter. I loved this scene in the book so much because it was just so satisfying to have Hermione come up with this really great plan for a way that Rita could help Harry after she had done so much harm. And I can't even begin to explain how much I hate Rita in the fourth book. I mean, I think we all feel that way. So it just felt really good in the book to be able to see her get what she deserves, have her finally be on the side of the good guys, even if she doesn't really want to be. And I think it's unfortunate that she won't get paid for the article. I know you guys mentioned that, and I do agree that that's really not right. But that's not Hermione's fault. Hermione's just trying to get the truth out. She's doing this for the greater good. So it gave me some Dumbledore vibes, honestly. And it also gave me some vibes of Hermione bitch-slapping Malfoy. (laughs) That was satisfying. So it would have been really great to be able to see that come to life in the movie as well. Because I'm like Alan. I have visions of this in my head of this really happening. So when I rewatched the fifth film, I was rewinding like, oh, did I miss it? (laughs) Where was it? Because this happened, isn't it? So yeah, those are my thoughts. Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering. How do I feel about the Order of the Phoenix deleting Rita Skeeter from the entire movie? Now, don't get me wrong. I don't like that lady. I don't like her at all. But 
the information that she puts out there is pivotal to the story. So much so that Umbridge banned that shit from Hogwarts. They could have slid that into my entire some type of way and gave us an extra, what, six, four minutes of fucking screen time for this to get done? Like, come on, read a skeeter. And I think I said this in one of my old ass ponderings, but all the shit she wrote about in Goblet of Fire, which also was omitted from that movie, was the foundation for the smear campaign in the Daily Prophet of Harry and Dumbledore by the ministry. And Hermione, blackmailing that ass, to rectify it is pivotal to the story. It literally changes, you know, somewhat the image of Harry and Dumbledore to the magical community. We didn't get that. It was just, you know, some stuff happened. Not this important piece of stuff, but whatever, you know, longest book, shortest movie. I gotta keep saying it because it is the truth. I don't like the lady, but this should have been in the movies. It definitely should have been there. I don't even think she gets any brownie points for this. It don't make me like her anymore. Matter of fact, it makes me like her even less because she didn't want to do that shit. And she don't need any more clout. She honestly should have wrote that shit under a pseudonym, to be honest. Hey guys, Jackson here with my Potter pondering for this week. How did I feel about them leaving out Rita Skeeter from the Order of the Phoenix movie? Well, you pretty much know my feelings about a lot of things they left out in Order of the Phoenix. But this one, this is one of the big ones. I really wanted to see Rita back. I wanted to see Luna's dad's article in the Quibbler. I wanted to see Umbridge puff up like a balloon seeing that article. Sorry, like a great big toad. And yeah, we were built once again. And it sucks. Hey, this is Jessica calling in this week's Potter Pondering about what my thoughts are of Rhea Skeeter being left out of this movie. I just have to start out with saying, no, it all started because most of Rita's parts from Goblet of Fire were left out of that movie. So we wouldn't already know Rita was a secret animagus if we didn't read the book, which apparently the directors didn't, but they could have found a way to introduce that back to this movie and correct that terrible mistake that was made that we could have this brilliant Hermione moment. I mean, we already knew Hermione was a badass, but her blackmailing Rita is just savage, and I love it. She kept the woman in a jar. But this scene would have given us more Luna, too, and I find it so hilarious that at first it just seems like she wandered over and randomly sat at Hermione's table without even noticing. (laughs) But this whole scene should have been in the movie. Without credits, this movie is two hours and eight minutes and 24 seconds long. They could have added at least another 30 minutes of scenes to this movie without it being too long. I mean, I watched 12-hour extended movies. They had everything in it before the book. Like, Avengers Endgame was three hours, but that's not even that. Who really cares how long the movie is if it's good, right? This scene would have added so much and very little time to the movie. 
it would have been so entertaining, and I will forever be frustrated that they cut it. I'm mad at Newell and Yates for this. They should have known better. Most of the movies could be retitled to Harry Potter and incompetent directors. Hush, maybe. But shame shall be brought down upon them. Because, ugh. Yeah, was Rita an annoying character? Yes, but in the best way. Okay, I'll shut up now. These reactions will get worse for the next movie, so just a warning. Bye! Thank you so much for your responses. You guys are fucking adorable. And angry. Yes, we love it. (laughs) Bring us all the anger. Our trivia question last week was, how old was Ginny when she first started breaking into the broom shed to borrow her brother's brooms when they weren't looking? Ginny was six years old when she started breaking into the broom shed. Congratulations goes to Sarah Baines Miller. This was by a bit of a fluke, though still answered fairly and squarely, as no one had any idea that the episode was going to post about six hours early, myself included. I mean, who could have guessed? I swear (laughs) that I scheduled it to post at 20 hundred hours, but apparently not. Could have been some sort of weird pod bean glitch. Or it could have been some weird brain glitch. I did kiss my husband goodbye that morning, and as he was still lying in bed, say, goodnight, babe, (laughs) so it's entirely possible I'm just losing it. Or that you never had it to begin with. Also entirely possible. (laughs) But now I will be triple-checking the episode before I schedule it, so this one will be going up at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and if you are listening to it now, you can check to see if that really happened. See y'all at two. (laughs) But anyway... (laughs) I wonder who's going to win this week. We shall see. For now, let's dive into the first half of chapter 26, Seen and Unforeseen, and the absolutely no corresponding film scenes. Chapter 26, Seen and Unforeseen, Part 1. Luna says that she doesn't know how soon Rita's interview with Harry will appear in The Quibbler, since her father is expecting a lovely long article about Crumplehorn Snorkax. Harry did not have an easy time talking through the night Voldemort returned, and Rita pressed him for every detail. He shared everything he could remember, since it was his one big opportunity to tell the whole world the truth. He figures a lot of people are just going to view it as confirmation that he is completely insane, but after the news of the escaped Death Eaters, he needed to do something, whether it works or not. At dinner on Monday night, Dean says he can't wait to see how Umbridge reacts. Seamus is pretending to focus on his dinner, but Harry knows that he is also listening. Looking very pale, Neville tells Harry that it was the right thing to do and asks if it was tough to talk about. Harry mumbles that it was, but that people have to know what Voldemort is capable of. Neville nods in agreement and also adds on that people should know about the Death Eaters too before returning to his baked potato. After a while, Seamus, Dean, and Neville head for the common room, but Harry and Hermione hang back to wait for Ron to finish with Quidditch practice. Harry's stomach lurches when he sees Cho walk into the hall with her friend Marietta, but she doesn't acknowledge him. This prompts Hermione to ask him what happened on his date with her, and Harry fills her in on the whole fiasco and wants her insight on what went wrong. 
Hermione sadly tells him that he was a bit tactless and he should have told Cho differently about meeting up with her, suggesting he pretended it was really annoying and he'd much rather spend the whole day with her, so he wanted her to come along so he could hopefully get away more quickly. Then, as an afterthought, Hermione adds on that he also should have mentioned how ugly he thinks she is too. Harry is bemused and tells Hermione that he doesn't think she's ugly. She laughs and tells him that he's worse than Ron, before correcting herself and acknowledging that he really isn't. She simplifies her explanation, letting Harry know that it upset Cho when he told her he was going to meet Hermione, so she tried to make him jealous to figure out how much he actually likes her. Harry doesn't understand why she didn't just ask him, and Hermione informs him that girls don't often ask questions like that. Harry thinks they should because then he could have just told her he fancied her and she wouldn't have gotten all worked up about Cedric dying. Hermione concedes that what Cho did wasn't sensible, she's just trying to help Harry understand how she was feeling at the time. At this point, they are joined by Ginny and Ron and the latter tells her that she should write a book to translate mad things girls do so boys can understand them. Harry agrees looks over at the Ravenclaw table as Cho gets up and continues to ignore him, then looks back at Ron and Ginny and asks them how practice was. Ron claims that it was a nightmare, and Hermione tries to insist that it couldn't have been that bad. She looks to Ginny, who confirms that it was appalling and that Angelina was in tears by the end. After dinner, Ron and Ginny went off for baths, and Harry and Hermione returned to the Gryffindor common room to get started on their homework. After about half an hour, Fred and George turn up, and once they confirm that Ron and Ginny aren't there, Fred brings up how they are going to be slaughtered in the match, calling them complete rubbish without them. George fairly points out that Ginny's not that bad, then wonders how she got to be so good since they never let her play with them. From behind her ancient runes book, Hermione informs them that she's been breaking into their broom shed in the garden since the age of six and taking each of their brooms out in turn when they weren't looking, and George looks mildly impressed. Hermione looks over her book to ask if Ron has saved a goal yet, and Fred tells her that he can if he thinks no one is watching. He gets up and crosses over to the window before expressing that Quidditch was the only thing in the place worth staying for. Hermione gives him a stern look and reminds him about their exams coming, but Fred insists that they aren't fussed about any WTs and they have their snack boxes ready to roll since they sorted out the boils by adding a drop of Mertlap essence at Lee's suggestion. George yawns and looks out the window too, saying he isn't sure if he even wants to watch the match because if Zachariah Smith beats them, he might have to kill himself. Fred suggests killing Zacharias instead, and Hermione absentmindedly calls all the bad feeling and tension between the houses to be the trouble with Quidditch. When she looks up from her book, she realizes that Harry, Fred, and George are all staring at her with matching looks of disgust and incredulity. She reminds them that it's only a game, and Harry shakes his head, telling her that she's good on feelings and stuff but just doesn't understand Quidditch. Hermione shoots back that she may not, but at least her happiness isn't dependent on Ron's goalkeeping abilities. Though Harry would never admit it to Hermione, after watching the match on Saturday, he would have given any number of galleons to not care about Quidditch either. The only good thing about it was that it was short, at only 22 minutes long. Trying to narrow down the worst part is much more difficult between Ron's 14 failed saves, 
Sloper missing the bludger and hitting Angelina in the mouth instead, or Kirk shrieking and falling backward off his broom as Zacharias zoomed at him with the quaffle. The miracle is that they only lost by 10 points, since Ginny managed to get the snitch right out from under the Hufflepuff Seeker's nose, making the final score 240 to 230. Back in the common room, Harry compliments her catch and she shrugs, saying she was lucky. She tells him that once he's back on the team, she wants to try out for Chaser, since Angelina and Alicia will both be leaving next year and she prefers goal scoring to seeking. Harry glances over at Ron, who is hunched alone in the corner, and Ginny tells him that Angelina still won't let him resign because she knows he's got it in him. Harry appreciates the faith she's showing in Ron, but also thinks it might just be kinder to let him leave the team, especially since he left the pitch to another booming chorus of Weasley is our king, and the Slytherins are now the favorites to win the Quidditch Cup. Fred and George wander over and join them looking at Ron's crumpled figure. Fred says he hasn't even got the heart to take the mickey out of him, though he does mention his 14th miss and do an upright sort of doggy paddle before resigning himself to saving it for parties. Ron makes his way to bed not long after that, and Harry waits a while before going up himself to give him enough time to pretend to be asleep if he wants. Sure enough, Ron is snoring a little too loudly to be plausible, but Harry just gets into bed thinking about the match. It was frustrating to watch from the sidelines, and though he was impressed with Ginny's performance, he also feels that if he had been playing, he could have caught the snitch sooner and maybe even scraped a win for Gryffindor. Umbridge had been sitting in front of him and Hermione and turned around a couple of times to give him what he figured was a gloating smile. This memory angers him until he remembers that he's supposed to be emptying his mind of emotion before he sleeps, as Snape instructs him every occlumency lesson. He tries, but the thought of Snape on top of everything else just makes him more upset, and he struggles to even fall asleep, let alone empty his mind. When he finally does, he has a dream that Neville and Professor Sprout are waltzing around the Room of Requirement as Professor McGonagall plays the bagpipes. He watches for a while, then decides to go find the rest of the DA members. When he leaves the room... Instead of seeing the Barnabas the Barmy tapestry, Harry finds himself in the windowless passage with the plain black door at the end of it. He moves towards it with excitement, sure he will find a way to open it at last. He reaches it and sees a glowing faint blue light. The door is ajar, but as he reaches his hand out to push it the rest of the way open, Ron gives a loud snore and wakes him up from the dream. Harry feels a mixture of disappointment and guilt, knowing he shouldn't have even seen the door, but also being extremely curious about what is behind it, that he feels annoyed with Ron for waking him. At breakfast on Monday morning, they enter the Great Hall at exactly the moment Owl Post arrives. Now Hermione is not the only one waiting for the Daily Prophet. Nearly everyone is eager for more news about the escaped Death Eaters who have still not been caught. Since Harry has only received one note the entire year, he is extremely surprised when an owl lands in front of him. It is soon followed by several more, all with letters addressed to him. Ron asks what is going on and Hermione takes a long cylindrical package from an owl and waves it at him, saying she thinks she knows what this means and tells him to open that one first. He does so and finds March's edition of the Quibbler, 
showing his own face on the front cover and large letters that read, Harry Potter speaks out at last, the truth about he who must not be named and the night I saw him return. Luna makes her way over to the Gryffindor table and tells them that it came out yesterday and she asked her dad to send him a free copy. She gestures to all the other owls and says that she expects they must be letters from readers. Hermione says that that's what she thought and asks Harry if he minds if they help open letters. Harry tells them to help themselves and they all begin tearing open envelopes, finding a mixture of people who believe him, who think he's crazy, and who can't decide. Fred joins in opening the letters too and as they all flip through them, Umbridge comes up behind them and asks what is going on in her falsely sweet girlish voice. She asks Harry why he is getting all these letters, and Fred loudly asks if getting mail is a crime. Umbridge threatens him with detention, then again asks Harry about the letters. He hesitates, but decides she'll figure it out soon enough, and informs her that people are writing to him because he gave an interview about what happened to him last June. She questions him about this, and he tosses the copy of the quibbler at her. She looks at the cover, and her face turns a patchy shade of violet. She trembles as she asks him when he did this. When Harry tells her it was during the last Hogsmeade weekend, she bans him from all future Hogsmeade trips, takes 50 points from Gryffindor, and gives him another week's worth of detentions. She walks away, clutching the magazine to her chest. And by mid-morning, decree number 27 has been posted, banning all students from having a copy of the Quibbler. This makes Hermione extremely happy, and when asked, she explains that Umbridge did the one thing that would absolutely ensure every single person would read his interview. This proves to be accurate, since by the end of the day, though Harry didn't see one copy of the Quibbler, the whole place seemed to be quoting the article, and it's even seeming like Harry finally has them convinced. Meanwhile, Professor Umbridge is stalking around the school and demanding students to turn out their books and pockets, but not finding anything as the pages containing Harry's interview have all been bewitched to resemble extracts from textbooks or magically wiped blank until they want to look at it again. The teachers are obviously all forbidden from mentioning the article by decree number 26, but still found ways to express their feelings about it. Professor Sprout awards Harry 20 points for passing her a watering can. A smiling Flitwick sneaks Harry a box of sugar mice at the end of Charms. And Professor Trelawney breaks into sobs and announces that Harry is not going to suffer an early death after all, but live to a ripe old age, become Minister of Magic, and have 12 children. The part that makes Harry the happiest is when Cho catches up to him to apologize and then tell him how brave the interview was. She kisses him on the cheek before hurrying off, and then this is followed by something just as good, when Seamus steps out of the queue to tell Harry that he believes him and sent a copy of the magazine to his mom. On top of this, the reactions from Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle, along with another Slytherin named Theodore Knott, are extremely threatening, since Harry named their fathers as Death Eaters. But, as Hermione points out, they can't contradict him without admitting that they've read the banned article. Luna also tells Harry that that edition of the Quibbler sold out faster than ever before and says that her dad is reprinting it. That night in the common room, Harry is the hero and Fred and George daringly put an enlargement charm on the front of the Quibbler before hanging it on the wall. 
Harry's giant head gazes down upon the room, occasionally saying things like, The minister, you're morons, and eat dung, Umbridge. Hermione doesn't really find this funny since it disrupts her concentration and ends up going to bed early. Harry has to admit that after an hour or two, it definitely isn't as funny, as the charm starts to wear off and is only shouting disconnected words like dung and umbridge at increasing intervals while getting progressively higher pitched. It starts to make his head ache, and to the disappointment of many people sitting around him, he also decides to call it an early night. So obviously none of this could be included in the movie since it's all aftermath from something else they cut out of the movie. What? Wait a minute. They cut things out of the movie? Hold on. I thought they were like completely true to book. Oh, wait. That's in your head. Only in my head. (laughs) Hmm. It's a fun place. Sometimes. (laughs) It's a scary place. Sometimes. All the time. What? (laughs) But anyway, like I said, it's the aftermath of the interview with Rita that was cut out from the previous movie section. Because Rita was completely cut out of the previous movie section. Like they do. Right. Mm -hmm. But the book chapter here picks up basically right at the end of the interview and it just kind of quickly transitions it to the next week, basically. It's Mm -hmm. not because they go on the weekend. Luna just says she doesn't know how long it's going to take Rita's interview to show up in the magazine because her father's expecting a article about the Crumplehorn Snorkags. Yep. And... If that shows up in time, it might just be more important than Harry's article because what? I mean, priorities. Right? (laughs) It does briefly mention that this experience was difficult for Harry Mm -hmm. because garbage really presses him for all of the details. Big facts, yeah. And also he figures there are going to be people who take it just as confirmation that he's gone completely nuts. Mm -hmm. People are probably going to think that he is just being a plotter. But those people already thought that anyway. Right. He's just really hoping that some people accept it. And then more than anything, he just needed to do something. Yeah. He's not sure if this is going to work or not. But with all of those escaped murder munchers, he needed to do something. And this was pretty much his option. Thanks to Hermione. What else was he going to do? Right. There wasn't much. Yeah. Say shit in Pepto Bitchmall's class and keep getting detentions where he has to slice open the back of his hand. Right? I mean, he's still going to have to do that. But at this the same makes time, it a little bit more worth it. Exactly. It then jumps to dinner Monday night. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they were just talking about it and the people around him overheard or they decided to tell that they did this. Mm-hmm. But Dean is clearly aware that Harry has given this interview. Because he's talking about how he can't wait to see how Pepto Bitchmall reacts, which, let's be honest, don't we all? Right? (laughs) I think that was everybody's feeling at that point. And since at this point of the book, Seamus has not already apologized to Harry, Mm -hmm. he's just sitting there eating his dinner and trying to look like he's not listening when he's clearly listening. Oh, yeah. He's acting like he's got blinders on, but Uh his ears are fucking open. Oh, yeah. Ear horn. Yeah. Say that again? Earhorn. A very pale Neville because we know that he's been very affected by this whole thing. He is probably experiencing a lot of personal triumph and emotion. Yeah. Both over Harry's decision. And he tells him that it was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Also wants to know if it was tough to talk about. 
that's entirely fair. Yeah. Because he knows himself he hasn't been able to talk about what happened to his parents. Mm-hmm. So this is big to him, I'm sure. Yeah. And I'm sure that it helped bolster him as well. Probably. Like, well, shit, if Harry can talk about this, it probably gave him some courage. And I love it. Yeah, I know. Mm, book Neville, you little punkin' you. Especially since Harry tells him that it was yeah but also insists that people have to know what voldemort is capable of Mm -hmm. tough but important and neville clearly gets some inspiration from this because he agrees and says that people should know about the murder munchers too they should know yeah because that's what he was more affected by Mm -hmm. indirect voldemort yeah it was voldemort by association right (laughs) but then he just goes back to eating his baked potato And Seamus kind of looks up at Harry and briefly makes eye contact and immediately looks back down at his food. And it's just sort of like, uh, I was listening. I'm not sure what to think about all of this. I can't look at you right now. Moving on. And then eventually Seamus and Dean and Neville go back to the common room. But Harry and Hermione decide to hang around and wait for Ron and Ginny since they're still at Quidditch practice and haven't had dinner yet. Mm -hmm. So they're just sitting there. Probably just picking at their food, whatever's left, hanging out. I don't know. But at this point, Cho walks in and determinately ignores Harry, walks over to the Ravenclaw table and sits down with her back to him. Oh, yeah. It's pointed as fuck. Yeah. If it was any more pointed, it would have stabbed Harry. (laughs) Right. (laughs) This gives Hermione the opportunity to ask in more detail what happened because she obviously wasn't going to bring it up in front of Rita Garbage Skeeter. Yeah, hey, how'd that go? Hmm. Right? So Harry fills her in, calls it a fiasco. Understatement of the century. Holy shit. And wants to know. He's like, I don't get it. We were having a great time. And then all of a sudden, she just snapped. You were having a great time? He Hmm. thought they were. Were you, though? He thought they were. Were you, though? She's so easy to talk to. (laughs) About two subjects. Yeah. Sir. But he asks Hermione what happened, and she tells him that he was a bit tactless, that he should have told Cho differently that he was going to meet up with Hermione. Phrasing is not just for you to say to me when I say something dirty. Or you to say to me when I say something that you take dirtily. (laughs) (laughs) I love Hermione's suggestion here for how he should have broached it, Mm -hmm. because it was... You should have pretended that it was really annoying and you want to spend the whole day with her, but I made you promise you'd meet up with me and please, 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 will you come with me so that I can hopefully get away faster? And then she thinks and says, you probably should have also mentioned how ugly you think I am too. (laughs) See, Hermione knows what's up. Yeah. And Harry's just like, but I don't think you're ugly. That's not the point, Potter. Fuck, guy. She laughs says you're worse than ron then goes well no you're not because <laughs> let's be honest how much worse would it have been if cho had been there for that interview because rita was like locking on to the fact that harry had a date to oh begin god with. that would have been such a distraction so to actually bring the date with it oh my god you wouldn't have been able to get her to shut up no i also think that she would have had a hard time not asking her own questions about cedric oh, yeah. and stuff like that i think it's definitely better that she wasn't there for sure it's unfortunate that it came about this way right 
I do kind of like the juxtaposition of like Cho wanted to talk to Harry about what happened. Harry was like, I don't want to talk about it. Then goes to the three broomsticks and talks about it. it. (laughs) Just not to Cho. Just not to Cho. Technically, it was again to Hermione. (laughs) But anyway, Hermione says he's worse than Ron, then says, well, no, not really, because who is? Right. And then she just kind of simplifies what she's trying to say to him, like, you upset Cho when you said you were meeting me. So she tried to make you jealous in an effort to figure out how much you actually like her. Mm-hmm. And Harry's just like, why the fuck didn't she just ask me if I liked her? Because that's not how we work, Harry. Which is exactly what Hermione says. Like, yes, okay, that's the logical way to do it. But that's not a thing we do. No. And Harry thinks that it is a thing that they should do because then he could just be like, yes, I like you. Okay, not wrong. Hermione's my friend. I like you. I like like you. I want to do things with you and hang out with you in a not friend capacity. Preferably those things don't involve talking about the death of your ex-boyfriend that I witnessed. Because I'd rather not talk about your dead ex-boyfriend over coffee. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd rather not you get all worked up about that. Yeah. Hermione does admit that Cho's reaction wasn't sensible. (laughs) Oh, that's putting it mildly. It wasn't sensible, but she's just trying to help Harry understand why it happened like that. Like, these are her emotions. This is what's been going on. This is why. This is what you could have done so that it didn't happen that way. Yeah, like, dude, we didn't say it made sense. It's just the facts of the situation. Yeah. And at this point, Ginny and Ron come in from Quidditch practice. Just in time to hear Hermione explaining that she's just trying to explain how Cho was feeling. And Ron says, you should write a book to translate the mad things girls do so the boys can understand them. (laughs) I mean, but would the boys read the book? Probably not. Exactly. Therein lies your issue. Especially not if it's the size of Hogwarts a history. Which you know it would have to be. Why would we read the book, Hermione? We can just ask you. Exactly. <laughs> you already do that about books that you're supposed to read for school. Why would you do this for leisure reading? No, you wouldn't. But again, Harry is not in Ravenclaw, so his immediate thought is, yeah, you should write a book. Mm-hmm. And as he's saying this, he again looks over at the Ravenclaw table where Cho is still just determinately ignoring him. She gets up and walks out of the room. So he's just like, all right, fine, whatever. Talk about something else. Turns back to Ron and Ginny and goes, so how'd practice go? Suddenly he wants to hear all about Quidditch. Right? According to Ron, it was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Hermione doesn't think it could have been that bad. And she looks to Ginny as she's saying this, who just says, no, it was appalling. <laughs> Angelina cried. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe this movie left out Quidditch completely. It's just not even there. Completely. It's not even there. I don't. I mean, maybe they felt like they put enough sports ball type action in the previous movie, but. I want to pose a question to you, Ellen. What is that question? How do you think Oliver Wood would have reacted to this scenario? (laughs) Oliver Wood would really probably try to drown himself in the shower. Oliver Wood. That's what I said. Oliver Wood. (sighs) Although actually this might be one of those like murder suicide situations where he kills the whole (laughs) shitty team first, then offs himself. Right. Or just takes Pepto bitch mall down with him. Yeah. If it wasn't for her, they'd still have the good team with the twins and Harry. 
you know that he'd be going to McGonagall and trying to get her to override in any way that he could. Oh, yeah. He would have scars all over his body because the hand wouldn't be good enough for how he was acting. You were so lucky you got out when you did. Right. That's all I got to say. Anyway, apparently they look as bad as practice was Mm -hmm. because after dinner, Ginny and Ron both have to go off for baths. (laughs) So Harry and Hermione just go back to the Gryffindor common room to get started on their homework. Makes sense. About a half hour or so into that, Fred and George show up and check to make sure that Ron and Ginny are not there before they start laying in to how bad the practice was. (laughs) Like, we were watching it. It was a disaster. They suck without us. We're going to be slaughtered. (laughs) So bad, you guys. So bad. Complete rubbish without us. And this is all Fred talking at this point because George is the one that steps in and says, to be fair, Ginny's not that bad. Actually, I don't know how she got to be so good considering we've never let her play with us. And Hermione just nonchalantly responds from behind her book. Doesn't even look over it. Doesn't lower it. Just says... She's been breaking into your broom shed in the garden since the age of six to take each of your brooms out in turn when you haven't been looking. Which was our trivia question. It sure was. And George is mildly impressed by this. As well he should be. It's pretty impressive Mm -hmm. that they never caught her or anything and she got this good at Quidditch. Again, another case for Ginny being in Slytherin. Very cunning. Yep. A lot of the Weasleys could. Mm Mm-hmm. Facts. If Slytherins were like real people and not a caricature of evil. Also, side note, red hair goes great with green. Just saying. It does. Very complimentary. Mm -hmm. Anyway, at this point, Hermione does actually look over the top of her book, wanting to know if Ron saved a goal yet. Because obviously that is not a question she can ask him. No, 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 no. And Fred tells her that... He can if he thinks no one is watching. So during the match, all they have to do is get everybody to turn around and not pay attention when the quaffle is coming close to him. I mean, that should be no problem. Right. Totally easy to orchestrate. Completely doable. Sure. Mm -hmm. While he's saying all of this, he crosses over to the window, just kind of lamenting over the fact that without being able to play Quidditch, there's really nothing worth staying at the school for. Mm -hmm. Which, of course annoys Hermione because she's like um excuse me you have exams coming up right clearly those are important whereas Hermione's just like uh Quidditch is the only thing that doesn't matter in school (laughs) basically that is where (laughs) this leads to because Fred says they don't really care about the NEWTs and now they have their snack boxes ready to roll they figured out what to do about those boils Mm -hmm. Lee put them on to Mertlap essence, which Harry recommended to him after he had his detention for being a badass. Look at that. Mm-hmm. Friends helping friends. Full circle. Mm-hmm. I love it. George comes over and joins him at the window as well, saying he's not even sure he wants to watch the match because it's going to be so bad. And if Zacharias Smith beats them, he might have to kill himself. So he's going to pull what we assume would be an Oliver one. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Fred thinks it's far more reasonable to just kill Zacharias. Yeah. Definitely. And this is when Hermione expresses that point you were making about how, like, that's basically the problem with Quidditch. Yeah. It sows this much discord and tension between the houses. Mm-hmm. When it's just a game, guys. It's just a game. It really doesn't matter. Just a game. She says all of this and in response gets silence. So she looks up from her book again and realizes that Harry, Fred, and George are just staring at her with this mingled look of disgust and incredulity. 
girl can't even read the room. Right. (laughs) (laughs) The one thing she can't read. And she's just like, what? It's only a game. And Harry tells her that she might be really good at feelings and stuff, but she just doesn't understand Quidditch. And I think that Hermione has the best response to this. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is mic drop moment where she says, maybe not, but at least my happiness isn't dependent on Ron's goalkeeping abilities. Bam! (laughs) Yep. Madam. Yeah. Madam. I give you the highest of fives. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Harry does not want to admit this, but come the actual match, he realizes he would give just about anything to not care about Quidditch. Any number of galleons. I mean, sometimes it's just easier to not care. But it's so hard to not care at the right? same time. <laughs> Sometimes it would be easier to not care. Yeah. Easier said than done, though. Of course. How many times have we done a summary and been like, I wish I didn't give a shit about this. I know. All of the times. <laughs> Every one of the times. I wish this wasn't such a big deal to me. However, it is. And y'all are going to listen to me bitch about it. Yep. That's what we're here for. Welcome to For Fuck's Sake. Where we just go, they left this out. For fuck's sake. (laughs) So positive things. Well, positive thing about the match. (laughs) It only lasted 22 minutes. Yay? No, that's a yay. Easy to figure out what the best part of the match was. Sure. Short. Mm -hmm. Figuring out which one of many was the worst part. Much more difficult. Is it Ron's 14 failed saves? Is it the fact that Sloper missed the bludger and hit Angelina in the mouth instead with his bat? Yeesh. Or is it the time where Kirk shrieked and fell backwards off of his broom simply because Zacharias was flying towards him with the quaffle? Oh. Sidebar, I really think you guys need to understand how not sports adept I am. And even that's embarrassing to me to read. You don't have to be sports adept to know that that is inept. (laughs) Fucking A. (laughs) I set you up for it, but I'm still angry. Maybe more so, actually. What is the absolute miracle in all of this 22 minutes of basic horror Mm -hmm. is that they only lost by 10 points. Small miracles? Small miracles. You know? Mostly in the form of Ginny getting the snitch right out from under the Hufflepuff Seeker's nose, Summerbee. So Gryffindor ended up with 230 points, which means they also did make eight goals. Yeah. I mean, they still have good chasers. Yeah. So there's that, at least. Now, Hufflepuff had 240 points, which means they made 24 goals. There's that. Yeah, but at least Ginny caught the snitch. What I don't understand, if Ron only failed to save 14 and each goal is 10 points. That's 140. Yeah. Are these like 14 spectacular fails? Like Ron had it and it slipped through his hand as opposed to they snuck it by him? I was told there would be no math in this podcast, Ellen. I think this was just a whoops type moment. Maybe it should have said 24 failed saves. But instead of focusing on this, let's just keep going. No math. 
Anyway, once back in the Gryffindor common room, Harry tells Ginny that it was a nice catch. And she just kind of shrugs and says she was lucky because it was a slow snitch. Summerby had a cold and just happened to sneeze right when it was in front of him. So perfect storm of making the game a little less embarrassing for Gryffindor. Don't sell yourself short, Ginny. You still want it. She did. But she also says that once Harry's back on the team, which Harry says, I have a lifelong ban, Ginny. She says, no, you have a lifelong ban as long as Pepto Bitch Mall is back at the school. Makes a valid point. So as soon as she's gone and you're back on the team, she says she wants to try out for Chaser because she prefers goal scoring to seeking and both Angelina and Alicia will be gone anyway. Yeah, Ginny does love to score, doesn't she? What up? Yeah. Anyway, Harry takes this opportunity to check over on Ron, who's just like sitting huddled up in the corner all by his lonesome, clutching a butterbeer, looking severely miserable. Understandably. And Ginny says that Angelina still won't let him resign because she knows he has it in him. I mean, also not to mention, who else is she going to get? Yeah, we'll just talk about that next book. Before getting into it now, we have plenty to talk about here. Harry is both appreciative of this faith that Angelina is showing in Ron, but then also kind of feels like maybe it would just be kinder to let him quit. Mm -hmm. Especially since... The Slytherins are now the favorites to win the Quidditch Cup, and they know it, so Ron had to leave the field to a chorus of Weasley is our king. Of course he did, because insult to injury and whatnot. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Big dose of it. Once again, Fred and George wander over so that they can discuss the situation at hand. Sure. And they're all looking over at Ron, just... Huddled in the corner, clutching his butterbeer. And Fred says he doesn't even have the heart to make fun of him. You know, right before he makes fun of him. But he had to think about it first. He did have to think about it. He had to, like, take stock of whether or not he really wanted to and then decided, yeah, I'm going to fucking do it. So he says, mind you, at his 14th miss and then does like an upright, weird, spastic doggy paddle thing. (laughs) (laughs) And just goes, I'll save it for parties. I fucking love the Weasley twins. Oh, they're such dicks. But you know what? Poor Juan Juan. Poor Juan Juan. But I'm pretty sure that Ron just finishes his butterbeer and goes up to bed. He does not want to be down there with all of these people. I'm not even sure why he stayed down there to begin with. Right? But he did. Clutched his butterbeer in silence, away from everybody else, and then goes to bed. And Harry decides to just wait and give him some time. Maybe he was like, silently hoping that someone would come up and be like it's okay guy like it's all right ron we still love you and then nobody was doing that so he was just like well fuck this i'm gonna go upstairs taking my ball and going home guys (laughs) harry decides to give him a few minutes before going upstairs himself that way ron has the time to pretend like he's asleep if he wants to Mm mm-hmm Very kind of him. Yeah, and that's exactly what Ron does, because when Harry gets upstairs, Ron is snoring, but it is not a realistic snore. No, exaggerated, yeah. So Harry just gets ready for bed himself. Entire time he's thinking about the Quidditch match, too. 
because that's what he just experienced. It really sucked for him. Watching mm-hmm. from the sidelines was frustrating. He's got Pepto Bitch Mall a couple rows in front of him. And you know she chose to sit there on fucking purpose. Oh, yeah. Because she would turn around every so often and just give a really smug grin to him. Right, just fish eye him. Like, mm. hmm, well, look at your team now, Potter. Yeah. On top of that, there was a moment earlier in the match that Ginny could have caught the snitch and she hesitated and Mm -hmm. he feels like he could have caught it and then maybe they could have even scraped a win. And I don't know how accurate that is or if that's just Harry being sports ball boy. I mean, you're always going to overanalyze when you're not actually in the game. And at least he doesn't say that to her. Just a thought in his head. He occasionally has moments of like, "Mm, don't do that. He's (laughs) definitely not worse than Ron. No. Ron would have done it. Right? At this point, he's starting to get a little bit angry, and that kind of makes him remember that he's supposed to be emptying himself of emotion, not thinking about things that piss him off before bed. Yeah. Because Snape keeps telling him this in his occlumency lessons. And so as he finds himself thinking about Snape telling this to him in his lessons, he then starts thinking about Snape, and now he's getting more upset and can't even fall asleep, let alone empty his mind. So, clearly, Occlumency's going well. Yes, he's quite adept at Occlumency, isn't he? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, very much so. Hmm. Or inept. Adept or inept. Or just a dumbass. A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. (laughs) So, all of these racing thoughts before bedtime lead to a dream that kind of might give you an idea of what it can sometimes be like in my head. Oh, that's scary. Neville and Professor Sprout are waltzing around the Room of Requirement while Professor McGonagall plays the bagpipes. Sure. I mean, like she does. Right? I'm sure. Yeah. And Harry just kind of happily watches this for a little bit and decides, I'm going to go find the other DA members. Why? I don't know. Do they want to watch them waltz? Do they want to listen to the bagpipes? Who wouldn't? Fair point. I'm a little mad we didn't get to see this dream instead of the one dream that they kept showing us in repetition of. Right? I would have paid extra per ticket to get to see that. Mm-hmm. Fuck. At the very least, give us deleted scenes. Come on. Honestly, man. <sighs> so he leaves the room. And instead of finding himself in front of that Barnabas, the Barmy tapestry that is across the door from where the room of requirement appears. Mm-hmm. Harry finds himself in that windowless passage with the plain black door at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And something is different this time. Like this time, he really feels like he's going to get there. It's going to get open. Oh, yeah. He's feeling confident about mm-hmm. this. Makes his way towards it. Can actually see a faint glowing blue light through a crack in the door. It's open. The door is open. He reaches to pull it open the rest of the way and Ron fucking snores really loud and wakes him up and he never gets to see what's on the other side of the door. That is quite Ron's mode of operation is just snore whenever things are getting real. His MO, if you will. (laughs) Yes. Modus operandi. Mm Mm-hmm. Or, you know, English, like I said it. (laughs) (laughs) So Harry wakes up. He feels... A combination of disappointment, because he really wanted to know what was on the other side of that fucking door, and guilt, because he's not supposed to know what's on the other side of that door. Like, he's not supposed to have dreams like this at all. Right. But because he's so curious about it, he's also very annoyed with Ron for waking him up. 
I mean, he's torn between doing what is expected of him and, and meddling. Meddling, exactly. <laughs> Which is an inherent part of his personality. How do you turn that off? Harry meddling Marie Potter. Damn it, man. I assume he eventually goes back to bed because now we are jumping to Monday morning again. So in this chapter so far, a week has passed. Mm -hmm. They head into the Great Hall for breakfast. It's right when Owlpost is showing up again. They've got a knack for this. Mm -hmm. And now you can just tell that everybody is waiting for the Daily Prophet. Used to just be Hermione. Everybody wants more news on the escape murder munchers. Well, yeah, there's things going on, man. The game is afoot. <laughs> there's something afoot at the Circle K. So everybody's attention is on the owls coming in with deliveries. Mm -hmm. And Harry's only gotten one note the entire school year. So he has no expectation of getting anything himself. And this owl comes and lands in front of him. And he's just like, who are you after? Right? Yeah, who the fuck you want, guy? And then this owl is followed by a second owl and then a third owl and then a fourth owl. And Harry is just getting letter after a letter after letter. They're all addressed to him. Yeah. And Hermione holds up one that is a cylindrical shaped package and says, I think I know what this is. Open this one first. Which Harry does. Sure. And he unrolls it to see his face and bold red capital letters that say, Harry Potter speaks out at last. The truth about he who must not be named and the night I saw him return. That's a bomb title. I love the fact that it's in red, too. Just mm -hmm. nobody's going to miss this. No. Y'all gonna pay attention now. Uh-huh. And as he's reading this, Luna kind of just wanders over to the Gryffindor table in pure Luna fashion. I'm sure she doesn't even know how she got there. <laughs> I just like that mental image. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, what am I doing? Oh, hi, Harry. Hi, Harry. <laughs> Good, isn't it? <laughs> It came out yesterday and she asked her dad to send him a free copy, which was nice. How funny would that have been if she expected him to pay for it after the interview? <laughs> I mean, I asked him to send you a free copy, but he was like, well, I'm not paying my writers, so... Why would I give things away for free? Obviously, I'm not in the habit of just giving money to people. Right? What do you mean? <laughs> Gross. But she also says that she expects the other letters must be from readers, which Hermione agrees with. She's like, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Can we help you open some of these, Harry? Mm -hmm. We want to see. We want to see. Right? We and see. Harry's just like, help yourself. I'm not going to open all of these. So they start tearing open all of these envelopes and they find letters from people who just think he's crazy. Like you do. There are people who do actually think they believe him, but then there are some letters where they'll be like, I mean, I think that you're completely crazy, but this doesn't make any sense. So this does kind of make sense. So I don't, I don't know. I'm of two minds. And Fred's just like, what a waste of parchment. <laughs> <laughs> you're back at zero yeah. on your opinion. Thank you for telling me this. Why even write it down? Yeah. <laughs> this concluded nothing. <laughs> Fred joins in opening all of the letters and it's so funny. They're even getting letters where like women are including pictures. And mm -hmm. <laughs> But as it turns out, some people are believing him. Yeah. Which is what they were hoping for. While they're going through all of this mail, a sweet girlish voice wants to know why Harry's getting all these letters. Him, him. Him, him. <laughs> Fred in... Still doing the BAMP fashion mm. of dealing with Pepto-Bitch Mall. 
giving zero fucks giving zero fucks says what is getting mail a crime now and she's just like careful weasley you know that she's just trying to decide what sentence she can have him write or she's trying to be like now how would i phrase that educational decree owls must leave the owlery we are closing it post haste right henceforth juliana just said that she's surprised that umbridge didn't try to ban all owl posts but i think that that would piss off a lot of parents oh yeah yeah that's a step too far yeah i don't think that one would go over well and i think she's also more focused right now on figuring out why this is happening so she knows what to ban Mm -hmm. so she wants to know why harry's getting all of these letters he explains that he gave an interview about what happened last june and she's just like an interview what do you mean and harry just being king of sass i mean a reporter asked me questions and i answered them and he just gives her the article i love the sass i know i just the sass sir it was excellent he knew that he was not going to be able to hide it from her she was going to come across that article eventually oh yeah there was no way this was gonna just completely fly by her there's no way So you might as well have some fun with it. Which he did. You know? Of course, it also led to being banned from all of the Hogsmeade weekends because she asked him when he did it and he explained that it was on the Hogsmeade weekends. So bye-bye those. No more visits for Harry. Oh, that's cool. The reporters are going to come here next time. So (laughs) we're all good. Then she totally banned reporters at Hogwarts. (laughs) But he also loses 50 points from Gryffindor. And he gets another week's worth of detentions, which is... Simply probably just, I must not tell lies. Oh, yeah. She clutches the magazine to her chest as she walks away, probably to make sure that nobody else can see the cover. That'll stop it. But you know, woman clutching her pearls. Shock. (laughs) Oh, my stars. Oh, my stars. You gave an interview. Oh, my stars. What on earth could you have to say that would warrant an interview, my good boy? Mm -hmm. Also, side note, doesn't this interfere with her decree before that she can't talk to students about things other than her subject well that's for teachers she's high in quiz oh that is true yeah the rules don't apply to her definitely don't apply to her that's right i forgot but Mm. speaking of decrees (laughs) it is mere hours later it is still mid-morning and decree number 27 has been posted like quick work for government yeah (laughs) bureaucracy be damned i have a decree to write yes this one bans all students from having a copy of the quibbler and harry doesn't understand at first but every time hermione sees the decree she smiles like hugely smiles at it oh cheshire cat cheshire cat smile and he wants to know why she's so happy and she tells him Pepto Bitchmall did the one thing to guarantee everyone is going to read this interview. Mm-hmm. Because even the people who had no idea what was going on, they have no idea the quibbler is even a thing. Everyone is now going to be like, the quibbler? What's that? I want to see it. Uh-huh. And if Pepto Bitchmall only thought for five seconds... She would have realized how stupid that was. Nope. She is power trip drunk. <sighs> you gotta love stupid villains. You gotta love to hate stupid villains. Well, that, <laughs> that as well. 
And as we see in the chapter, this does end up being exactly how that happens. Because by the end of the day, though Harry hasn't seen anybody with the Quibbler, mm-hmm. everybody is somehow quoting the Quibbler. Hmm, I wonder how that is happening. Mm-hmm. And conversations surrounding the quotes all seem to be from people who believe Harry. Which is a lot more than he originally thought, too. Yeah. So not only did this article do something, it exceeded expectations. Yeah. It got an E on its OWLs. Maybe even an outstanding. Right? And then fun little fact, Pepto Bitch Mall spends the day walking around forcing people to turn out their pockets and their books so she can check to make sure they don't have a copy of the Quibbler. But everybody is way smarter than her. Facts. They have preemptively charmed the pages to look like something else, Mm -hmm. like from their textbook, or to just be wiped blank so it just looked like blank parchment. Yeah. Unless they wanted to read it again. Very Marauder's Map of them. Yes. I love it. Clever. I am here for this. As you mentioned before, decree number 26 does not allow the teachers to talk about anything aside from their subject with students so they can't bring up the article no of course not but they still find ways to allude to it they show their support i love this professor sprout awards harry 20 points just for passing her a watering can that's 20 point worthy yeah it is totally He he did a really good job passing that watering can it was so useful it was seamless beautiful Mm -hmm. and it was her favorite watering can it was professor flitwick sneaks harry a box of sugar mice at the end of class just goes shh (laughs) but i think that the most dramatically pleasing one is professor trelawney especially since she does this right in front of pepto bitch mall Mm -hmm. where she breaks into sobs in class And announces to the whole room that as it turns out, Harry's not going to suffer an early death. He's going to live to a ripe old age, become minister of magic, and have 12 children. Which I am not sure is better than suffering an early death, but... That is an early death. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But all the other stuff, 12 children aside, everything else, that's like the highest compliment you can get from Trelawney. Oh yeah, the sentiment here is the important part. Exactly. And it's not like she always said that he was going to suffer an early death before because she didn't like him. But the fact that she turned it back and was like, and was like, no, you're going to be so happy. Turns out I was wrong. I was wrong. But now I see clearly you are going to live forever (laughs) to a ripe old age and become minister of magic. And have 12 children, which, again, could have stopped at Minister of Magic, but I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Trelawney. Right? (laughs) To make it even better, peak awesome for Harry is when Cho finds him and apologizes because now she understands why he had to meet Hermione. Right? And she thinks that he's so brave for doing the interview. And she tells him that it makes her cry, which he's not as happy about. But hey, at least she's talking to him again. And then she kisses him on the cheek and hurries back off. To be fair, the crying thing, that's like, okay. And? That's just like Tuesday for her. (laughs) (laughs) Everything makes her cry. Fuck. Human hose pipe. Yeah, but she's talking to him again. That is the important part. And then just as good... 
maybe not as sexy, but just as good. <laughs> Less tears, but just as good. Seamus mm-hmm. finds him right before transfiguration class and full on steps out of the queue and just says, I believe you and send a copy of the magazine to me, mom. <laughs> and so we already saw this mm-hmm. in the movie a little bit because he does apologize. And this is when it happens in the book. Yeah. And it was just right before this. So, yeah. I mean, it's not that it's far not off. It's not too far off. The timeline is okay. Mm-hmm. Just very gappy. Some other fun stuff that happens because of this article is that we get an extremely pissed off Malfoy Crab and Goyle along with another Slytherin named Theodore Knott. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are four children of men that Harry named as murder munchers. So yeah. it's pretty obvious why they're pissed off. But they can't do anything about it without admitting they read the article they weren't supposed to read. Yeah, they're kind of rock and hard place at this point. Uh huh. It's great. And Hermione's super excited about this. Like, <laughs> this is awesome. I had such a good idea. Not to mention, they can't say anything because depending on what they say, it's going to be like, oh, the lady doth protest too much, methinks. Right? <laughs> like, hmm, interesting. You bring this up now, Malfoy. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. More exciting news. Luna informs Harry that this copy of the Quibbler has sold out faster than ever. I don't even know if they've ever had sold out copies before, but this one's sold out and they are even reprinting. I'm sure the Crumplehorn Snorkak issue would have sold quite well indeed. However, this did just a little bit better. A little bit better, which kind of surprises her, but. Right? (laughs) It is Luna. Very true. Later that night in the common room, Harry is the obvious hero. Mm-hmm. And this is just escalated by Fred and George's own heroism. Because mm-hmm. they're just so fucking badass. In their quintessential twin way. Yes. Mm-hmm. They take the cover of the magazine with Harry's face on it and enlarge it before posting it on the wall to overlook the room. And my... God... How could they possibly have thought depriving us of this was acceptable? Well, Harry's giant face stares down at them from the wall and occasionally says things like, The ministry are morons and eat dung, Umbridge. Katie. Ellen. How is this not a thing they showed us? Well, I've put quite a lot of thought into this. Numerous nights. And I figured it out. Um, They suck. Ew, David. Ew, goddamn David. Now, unfortunately, Hermione doesn't find this as funny as we do. Which I guess is fair. It does disrupt her focus on her homework, which needs to get done. They're coming up on exams. I'm sure there's a lot of other things going on as well. She ends up just going to bed early. Mm -hmm. And Harry makes it another hour or two. Before he ends up deciding to follow her. But by that point, he has to admit that it's really not that funny anymore. Because the charm's starting to wear off. And we're getting this increasingly disconnecting, random shouting of words. Yeah. It's becoming quite nonsensical. It's like a lower frequency of words, but a higher frequency of how the words that do get said sound. So it just randomly goes, dung. (laughs) ministry tongue umbrage ministry (laughs) 
I'm getting like a Rocky Horror moment I know, here. Right? <laughs> or um, the Cell Block Tango. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Harry's head starts to hurt. And he, even though it disappoints everybody who's sitting around him, and there are a lot of people just wanting him to talk about the interview again and again and again, he just says, I got to go to bed, guys, and calls it an early night, too. Like, or, and hear me out, just read the damn article. <laughs> right? Again. <laughs> like, I'm not going to tell you anything that's not in it. I literally spilled my guts. Yeah. I figuratively spilled my guts. There we go. <laughs> but this is where we're going to cut off the chapter. How better do we end an episode than on... Dung! Umbridge! Morons! Ministry! <laughs> episode title (laughs) but yeah this is where it ends leaves us with no actors to talk about because there were no movie scenes why would there be but let's just move on to our potter pondering which is what are your thoughts on harry's interview in the quibbler not being included in the movie Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your response and then go into your answer. Don't forget, you can also stitch your response on TikTok at any time. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Ashley DeVito. She writes... As a kid, I was especially into fantasy books. I started in fourth grade, though I don't really remember specifics, just growing up with them and the needing to wait for the next one to come out. When I first started reading them, the magic was still real for me. As a person in this world, we had power. We moved to California for fifth and sixth grade, and it was a big change. Hogwarts was always still Hogwarts, though. We reread the third book so many times because that was the largest gap in the formative years of needing another book. First was so easy and they developed as they got older. We jumped around schools almost every year but could always talk Harry Potter with a new group of people. Hermione was one of the first strong female characters I had ever seen who valued education and intelligence and I strongly identified with her. The houses also gave a great framework for self-identification slash exploration. I thought I was a Ravenclaw as a kid, but as I grew up, I came to the realization that I am a Slytherin. My Patronus is a Heron, and my wand was originally a Maple wand, but when I redid my account, I ended up getting a Vinewood wand, 13 inches with a dragon heartstring core. I'm a fan of the Sorting Hat chats because they bring about great thoughts on character and values. Harry Potter is still relevant and means so much to me because I was able to grow with the story as I gained world experience, not out of it. Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Ashley. Yes, thank you. And if any of the other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. That brings us to this week's trivia question, which is, which decree in the book allows Umbridge to sack Trelawney? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag not up to scratch will get a sticker. 
Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at foxsakepod. Following us on Podbean at foxsakepod.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at forfoxsakepodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash foxsakepod. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like For Fox Sake swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated, even if it's just telling your Harry Potter friends about us. And if you don't have any Harry Potter friends, there's another reason to join our Patreon, because you will meet some of the best Harry Potter people ever. I mean, just the best people ever, really. There's that, too. Period. End of sentence. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 26, Seen and Unforeseen, and the corresponding film scenes that we already discussed in an earlier episode since it was shoehorned into the montage. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. And in the meantime... Keep calm and hairy on! Oh, for fuck's sake.